Hey there, it's Timmy Manor, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, once again, my partner in crime, yes. Benjamin Little. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me for another week, Timmy. We're a bit excited today because yes. we're, we're like uh, cage animals that haven't yeah. had someone in the flesh in the studio for a, for a while. Yeah, forgive and us for being overexcited. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very good to have someone in the flesh, in the studio. Our guest this week, Benny. I'm really, we're very honoured to have him, but uh, let's just have a talk about what he's done. He's he's one of the most trusted to lead and mentor uh, a group of individuals at the Canterbury Bulldogs, and he's done it for a number of years. Yeah, um, we're going to get him to talk about more his experience and what he's learnt along the journey. But we're excited to have him on our show tonight. Our guest on the Spirit of Sport is Canterbury based down Bulldogs chaplain Ken Glendinning. Uh, Welcome, Tim, mate. Friend. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Glad to join you and chat. Now, we've started a bit of a chaplain series, so we've been speaking to a lot of chaplains around the traps. Uh, you know, we've had Bill Hunter, we've had a few, George Dancy, he's a, yeah. a stable mate of ours, he's part of the show a fair bit. Um, you're from the Canterbury Bulldogs, uh, can you tell us a bit about your history and how long you've been there for? Uh, I've been there over 30 years, actually, Tim. Wow. Uh, so yeah. It's been a long time, yep. 30 years. 1993 uh, I started. 1993, that was, that was AR back then, wasn't it? It was then, yes. And how, how did you get into it? How did you start? Actually, I, uh, I gave Chris Anderson a ring and uh, I was aware that he might be open to the possibility of having something around. Yeah. So I said, let's go and have coffee. And uh, we sat down, chatted, and uh, he said, look, uh, let, let's try it for a month. Uh, actually, I ran into him a couple of years ago and I told him, he never told me that that trial was over. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you said it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're still on trial. You might, you might yeah. <laughs> Uh, and what is the what's the experience been like? How do you find working with athletes? And it's it's a different, it's different to I guess most other chaplains uh, industries that all have their own differences. But the sporting world, I guess, is you know it's extreme in a number of in a number of ways. How have you found it? Uh, look, it was a fairly natural fit for me in a way, uh, yep. Tim, because it, part of my other background when I was a, a phys ed teacher yep. uh, in the early days, uh, and uh, although I started to become a pastor and I became a became a minister. I also then uh, did psychology, became a psychiatrist, a yep. psychologist. So I brought those kind of skills to it as well. And so my conversations with uh, with Chris were about, uh, you know, I could input into the lives of uh, the, the boys and the team uh, off the field, uh, leave, let him focus on the um, uh, on the field. At, at, at that time, uh, we didn't have any uh, welfare officers, well-being. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, we, we were that de facto anyway, so. Was there many chaplains going around back then in football clubs? There were there were one or two around yeah, right. the time, not many. I actually ran into one of them yesterday. But uh, And uh, there's one guy that's been in it longer than me, although I think he's just retired, John Woods at Canberra. Right. He's been in a few, couple of years more than me. Uh, there weren't too many of us then, but these days there are a lot more in most clubs. It's, um, it's such an incredible space because you're talking about doing it 30 years ago, which says a lot about Chris Anderson to have the foresight to – allow that back then, but I'm a big believer that the gap between the best teams and the worst team physically is only small. So yep. they all train hard, they're all strong in the gym, they're all fast, they're all fit. But the teams that can learn how to unlock, you know, the, the mental aspect and understand that athletes are more than just a, a chunk of meat, that there's a lot more that goes towards the ticking of and the, you know, the, the livelihood behind them and understanding how to, un how to tap into that. That's where the future of sport's going to be. But to, to see you doing that from 30 years ago, how have you seen it progress and have coaches over the years 
become more accepting, less accepting? Are players bought into it more or less over the years? Look, it's progressed and developed over the time. It's probably glorified um, welfare, obviously, really yeah. right at, at the yeah. beginning. Um, but there's, I mean, Chris's philosophy was that if a, if a player's got his life in a bit of a mess off the field or yep. things aren't going well, then it's going to impact his performance on the pack, mm. paddock. But also if things aren't going well on the paddock, uh, he wants to make sure that things are going okay. The other parts of their lives, yeah. If they live only for football only, uh, and, and everything revolves just around that, when things aren't going all that well, you know, injuries or form and things like that, uh, often their world kind of falls down. It's, it's. I say the same thing every week on the show. It's a, a lot of players have all their eggs in one basket. So for them, yeah, it's just footy, yeah. footy, footy, and they get home, they watch it, and their friends all the talk, all they talk about is footy, and they're surrounded by it. And the second that something goes wrong, so an injury, uh, you know, you have contract, your form, um, whatever it might be, all of a sudden it does feel like their world's caving in. And as a, as a believer, that's kind of when I had the most opportunity to speak to people about my faith is when they're going through those hardships and um, and it happens a lot. And plays are a pretty fragile uh, being, you know, like it's a it's a roller coaster that you're on as, a, as an athlete. You know, one week you're, you're winning on top of the world and your Bulldogs had a great win in Melbourne last week. So, you know, there's that feeling of, being invincible for a week and then you, get, you come out the next week and if you don't have a good result, you can feel like you're in a hole. Uh, how do you help keep the players levelled and not having the extremes up, ups and downs? Look, right from the very beginning, it's actually taking uh, an interest in the whole person. Yep. Uh, every aspect of their life. So I make, a, make an effort to know about their family circumstances, uh, a bit about their backgrounds and where they've come from, uh, some of those, those things that have informed their values yep. and shaped them. Uh, and then particularly when a crisis uh, arises, uh, you've already developed a relationship with them that you can actually help work that through with them. So there's been a couple just recently. Yeah. Uh, so uh, because the relationship uh, pre-exists, uh, you're able then to uh, bring some hope and some positive things into, into their lives. I, I, one of the key things I think around chaplaincy is that we're not there just for those who have faith. Yeah. And we're there for, although I'm a Christian pastor. Yeah. Uh, I'm there for people for whatever faith or no faith mm. yeah, uh, and help them along life's journey. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, sometimes, uh, they're going to find somewhere they can trust to actually ask some of those deeper questions and those hard questions. Yeah. Particularly when things are going a little bit tougher. Speaking of life journey, how, how did your journey start? How did you, you know, be introduced to your faith and, and how did that all transpire? Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family that, uh, had a strong faith. They were churchgoers. Um, yeah. And uh, although I moved around a fair bit uh, growing up, uh, we were able to, uh, I got exposed to uh, issues of faith. Uh, it wasn't until my mid-teens that I really came to a personal relationship with Jesus myself. Yeah. Uh, and that all made more sense to me. And I kind of began to grow from there. Yeah. And then you got involved in ministry, you were saying, trained to be a a pastor, is that right? Yep. Tell us a bit about that and how you were drawn to that. Actually, I got drawn to that quite early right. uh, in, in life. Uh, and uh, I then actually chose teaching as a, as a first career. So I thought it would be a good preparation for kind of ministry. Uh, I got lots of opportunities to, uh, to provide leadership in different kind of contexts. So I went into pastoral ministry at a fairly young age in the end. Mm. Uh, and that, that began the journey. And... Uh, Passed out in the country areas. Uh, cool. uh, from there, I actually went into theological education. Um, and then for 10 years, I was the denominational head for New South Wales and ACT. Cool. Uh, 
and then uh, retired from that role. Right. Uh, and these days I invest in in working with churches, uh, usually around 12 months at a time, uh, helping to transform them, uh, renew them, moving yeah. into, a, into a new era, helping them to reevaluate where they've come from, where they're heading into the future. So that's what I tend to do these days. So you've well. experienced quite a lot of ministry uh, within a church context, but then also out in, involved in the community and in the club. What have you found has been the main differences between ministering in both, both circles? These uh, outside people of faith or outside the, the church itself, your starting point is very different. Yeah, that's a good uh, way to put it. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, look, I, I see everybody on a, on a journey, you know, and, uh, and I also understand that God is in every place before mm. I get there, yep. uh, no matter where it is. Uh, so uh, for me, it's trying to weigh up. Sorry, mate, please, Mike, next to you. There, there you go. Just trying to weigh up where people are at. Uh, yeah. Uh, where the starting point is, uh, in churches these days, you could probably assume to some degree that people have a certain amount of biblical literacy. Yeah. Not as much as you used to be able to. Uh, you assume that a lot of people out, so I have no idea whatsoever. Mm. Can I just stop you there for a second? Because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot as well. Is it a concern, the amount of, uh, or the lack of biblical knowledge that you're seeing in churches or in general in Christians at the moment compared to what it was 10, 20 years ago? Uh, it, it is because you've got actually got to go back and got to go back further in terms of taking them along that spiritual yep. journey yep. To, to, to deepen their faith and their, their understanding and their concern. Yeah. Um, and uh, things that you could assume in the past you can't assume uh, whatsoever. I, if I give you an example, yep. Tim, I was at a church in Perth a while ago and a person came to faith. And it was around Easter time, and they said, "What's Easter about?" Yeah, is it, uh, no idea where it's foundational to yeah, what it right. means to the yeah. Christian faith. Yeah, yeah, but that so like, that that one is obviously an external, and as a society, the Western culture it has changed what it was hundred years ago. So there's definitely you know nations like ours in America that were built on Christian values definitely don't have the exact same um, you know societal morals that we did you know fifty years ago, but in churches in, internally as well, um, I've noticed a bit of a concerning trend where people struggle to answer basic questions. And so not not something as simple as Easter, because a lot of people oh. in church can understand that. But um, you know, doctrinal or the, um, you know, theology, theological questions that you'd assume you know believers should have a grasp on. I feel like that's waning a bit. Is that is that something you've noticed, or is that just something I'm I'm paranoid about? Yeah, look, part of that I think. Uh, Tim, is that why we might have taught doctrine and the and tenets of the faith yeah. haven't always explained and helped people to think theologically. Yeah. Uh, and so when we're faced with new questions and new challenges today, yeah. people don't necessarily have the skill to know how to think those things through. Mm. And people don't accept things as black and white as they used to. Yeah. They, um, but so we need, uh, part of what I think we need to do is to give people the tools to know how to use the scriptures to answer and address a lot of the today's questions. Yeah. Um, and uh, the questions of today aren't necessarily the same ones that we had yesterday. Yeah, I know. It's um, <laughs> and the last five years it feels like it's gone 100 miles an hour. <laughs> We've gone further in the last five years than the last 50. How, how have before. you found that? Obviously, um, society has thrown a lot of curly questions out there to believers. Uh, how do you find navigating through that um, and being, I guess, 
the beacon for a lot of people. So a lot of people look to you as as a as a pastor or someone that they might have questions with. How do you navigate through those trickier ones in society? Well, the first thing is that you've got to model a life that actually shows that yeah. I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I, I mean, outside the church, I don't talk about the church. I talk more about the relationship with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I will often talk about the things that Jesus said or the things that, that he did and what he demonstrated. But I've got to model it myself. Mm. Uh, and I've got to realize that some of those people are watching me. Uh, but I'll give you an example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, with the footy club years ago. You come out of Belmore. Um, with, what a place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you used to come out down the laneway, there's this, you come out on a corner of the road, there's a, there used to be these double lines. Yeah. And the guys used to come out there, get there, and duck straight across the lines. Because I did that. Once as well. Yeah. Well, probably more than once. I think I may, have, I may have done that once or twice as well. Well, it was, it was Terry <laughs> Before, Lamb. They got concrete there now, don't they? They have. They yeah, have. Yeah. <laughs> and it was Barr yeah. who said, Ken, I saw what you did the other day. Yeah, right. I thought better of you. That sounds like Barr. Touche. Touche. you got to step. you got to. Yep. Yeah. Wasn't the wrong. They're watching. Well, that's, a, that's the thing about our faith in sport. I feel... And it has come a long way, but there's definitely that once you put yourself out there, there's definitely people watching a lot of your moves to see how you're different. So, yeah, I, but but they they res, they respect if you're fair income about it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if you put your hand up when you make an error, you know, I, I mean, I don't preach at them. Yep. You know, I just want to come alongside and uh, seek the opportunities to share something of a reality that I've discovered in my own life and and others have, yeah. uh, and some. And, and some hope and things to speak into their life. Um, so I don't preach at them, but I want to develop those kind of relationships uh, with them so that yep. they, they can feel confident to come and ask some of those more difficult uh, questions. Mm. But if they don't see you're genuine about it, yeah, and you're not, to put, you're not prepared to put your hand up and say, look, okay, I, I made a mistake, I blew that. Uh, and I, don't, I, try, uh, I endeavour not to um, make myself look any superior. Yep. You know, yeah. I'm on a journey too. Yeah. I make mistakes. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I make mistakes and, uh, and i got to readdress them. There's areas that I've got to grow in, uh, uh, as well. And, uh, the fact that I have a personal relationship with Jesus, uh, enhances me in my journey, but for them, um, uh, they just need to, to know that I'm on that journey as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh. I don't think I'm any better person than they are. Yeah. Uh, I just got a relate right relationship with Jesus, which makes an enormous difference mm. in my life. Mm. Yeah. It seems like maybe even when you started around when you would have started, there was a lot less vulnerability and openness and accessibility, uh, to a pastor or to a man of faith or a man of man of the cloth. Whereas now there's a lot more relatability, uh, going on. Would, would you have any comments around that? Yeah, well, it, when I started the dogs, it was known as the Catholic Club. Right. Was it really? Yeah. Okay, but, yeah. I knew well, it was the family club. Yeah, it was also known as the Catholic Club. Yeah. I, I won't go into the history of why that was the case, Righto. but yeah. they just assumed I was a Catholic priest. So they just kept calling me father all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we call George the Reverend, Reverend George. Yeah, he gets uh, they, No, they call me the Rev. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, well, there have been some other names over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I... I, I didn't challenge that thinking because that was only their, they're coming from their experience. Yeah. So I addressed it when I brought my kids along. Yeah. 
And they said, how come you're a priest and you've got kids? Yeah. Well, that gave me a chance to say, well, actually, we're not all the same. Yeah, yeah. Know, we have, there are things in common, but there are some things that might be a bit different as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they got used to me going around. They tested me because I trained with them when I started. Yeah. Uh, in those days, you're part-timers, so I could do a bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, days. yeah. Uh, and uh, they, um, they tested me out on the paddock. Yeah. See how I'd respond. Um, and uh, I spotted okay, I think, in their eyes. So. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's, we've had a few chaplains now talk about like them actually getting on the field with the boys. And um, it doesn't happen much anymore, but it's it's a it's amazing way to kind of integrate yourself into a community or into a football team or environment culturally and actually going you know shoulder to shoulder with them. How did the players take to you as, in the early days? Were they... Um, open to having a chaplain or were they, something that they preferred not to have? Look, it was a very new experience. Yeah. Uh, and it was generally uh, one of the staff that Chris introduced me to said uh, he didn't want me to have anything to do with the team that he was coaching. <laughs> 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 I, you know, I became great mates. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I had a lot to do with his family. <laughs> Wow, you know, yeah. Over the years and still do. That's right? awesome. So I keep in contact with all the old former yeah, players yeah. today. Cool. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had opportunities. Uh, the, I, I, I guess I got the opportunities very early to do some things for some players. Uh, yeah. And uh, that developed a credibility fairly quickly. Yeah. And uh, once I developed that, uh, they were open uh, to things. But it was about six months in uh, – uh, oh, no, Marty Bella gave me a hard time. Marty Bella, <laughs> yeah, right. And he tore into me when we were doing some warm-up stuff. You know, what was I thinking I'd do and be out there and so forth. But I didn't let him get to me. Yeah. And uh, the following day, it was actually Daryl Halligan who, who used to pick me up occasionally. Daryl said, oh, the boys are talking about yesterday. I said, oh, yeah. And they said, uh, you didn't let Marty intimidate you. He intimidates the rest of us. <laughs> 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 Things yeah. changed at that point. Yeah, 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 that's and, awesome. And, and with Marty, yeah, yeah that's well, that great. Was a positive. Well, Daryl's a gentleman too. Like he's, you know, you would have worked with some great people. Yeah, well, uh, Daryl's still around. He's still kicking stuff. So yeah. I've actually, I've okay. actually heard a few stories of in the in the same light of, um, like a player or a coach really confronting a, a chaplain or someone in that space, and the way they responded actually uh, it made a big difference with how the relationship continued. Yeah, well, the CEO back then, who was Chris Anderson's um, father-in-law, who was a very strong Catholic man, right. uh, he was not keen about a Protestant uh, chaplain. Right, right. Yeah. Who, who was that? Who was, who was Bullfrog. Bullfrog, that's all right, yeah. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter Moore. Moore. Yep. Uh, although, over the years, I had an enormous amount to do with his family. Yeah. Uh, and, and Peter wasn't happy at the beginning, but he said, oh, quite a few other people think well of you, so I'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but usually he had a bit to drink at that point, and usually we'd lost a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, mate, well, there was no social media back then, so for for people like him, that's how they got all their, uh, eating off their chest. There was no, <laughs> nowhere to yeah. unload on social media, just straight to your face, which I'd almost prefer in a way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah actually, I do too. Yeah. How, how do you find the the... In technology, obviously, I talk about social media and the amount of head noise players can get by consuming that kind of rubbish. Um, you know, some of the stuff after a game, and um, I can imagine the Bulldogs the last couple of years would have copped a lot from fair. And, and it's passion, it's alcohol, it's emotions. How do you deal with players that would kind of bottle up that, um, you know, those those feelings of um, you know depression or, or you know the really angst that they get in the tough times? Yeah. 
you try to encourage them to get away from a lot of that. Yep. That's that stuff that's going to actually feed such negativity yeah. uh, into them. You've got to bring a message of, of hope and purpose into the future. Yeah. Um, I, without going into any of the details, I got involved in 2004 when we were under the, the pressure with allegations. Yep. yep. And, uh, I was with the team. When the oh, wow. Was, yeah. Happening across Harbour. Um, and I, uh, folks here who I had a gr- very close relationship with. Yeah. Uh, took me away with the team for a few days when we had a um, uh, a buy, and uh, actually got me to speak into the, the team. Wow! Uh, gave me got me to do a number of sessions with the team, and one of them was around about you know that, that, I mean they're talking about all the pressure they're under, all the media stuff that was coming their way, and they couldn't they're banned from going places and that. And so we, we got that out of the open to talk about how that was impacting us and how we would deal with it. Um, and then we talked about uh, what are the spiritual values in life? What are the really things that really matter in life? Mm. Uh, and that opened up a whole lot of conversation about uh, what was happening to them. And then some some of them said to me, uh, I didn't realise I was stressed until you talked about the symptoms. Yeah, wow. Well. I didn't realise I was living under, under stress. And that we're, We were then able to talk about some strategies about how we help relieve some of that um, as a team. And so that team became very tight while we went on to win, win the comp. Can, is, are any of those stuff that you can share at the moment, like like a strategy, like one strategy you'd use to deal with stress or anxiety? Or? Sure. It, it's um, it's getting the ne- the negative stuff out of their, their, yep. their, their heads by actually often bringing in some of the more positive stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, I mean, there are there are simple exercises like even breathing exercises and things which the players yeah. often do now, yeah. Uh, which is a bit you know uh, mindfulness stuff. But, yep. but part of that is to try to empty some of that mm, negative noise. voice yeah. voices out, but try to really speak positively into their lives and identify helping them to identify who are those people who speak positive messages in your life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, making sure that you're spending time w- with them. Yeah. So that they speak um, positively uh, into your life, but also helping them to see beyond the immediate small picture. Yeah. Because often their world then becomes narrower and narrower and narrower, mm. uh, where they need to to see the bigger, broader. Picture. Yeah. It's funny. Two thousand years ago, uh, you know, the Bible was was written, and you got verses talking about, you know, what's everything's a. Tell me, Eddie, Pastor Ben, but what's yeah. things are lovely, what's things are like to Noble, think, pure, think yep, on these things. Think on these things. But yeah. it's like that was way before any sports psych ever existed. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's amazing the impact. I, I'd talk like that even with my children if they got negative thoughts in their head. And it's amazing how replacing those thoughts with positive ones is something that we're trying to train our athletes now with. But, you know, the Bible was teaching us that a long Correct. time ago. Uh, are there any instances that you can st- relate Biblical teaching to sport. Well, actually, sorry, I'm putting on the guys listening at, at home or wherever you are. There's these aren't pre-prepared questions. These are on the spot. So, so he's uh, he's been great so far. But it's uh, Ken's just uh, doing everything he can to answer these uh, curly questions. That's fine, mate. Yeah. Actually, that, the, the Bible actually uses quite a few sporting images. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, about running about the race. Seagulls, yeah, running the race. 
Uh, well, yeah. What's the one about physical exercise being useless pretty much? <laughs> well, it's, it's not, yeah, well, that's about not the long term. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It has a temporary yeah. positive, but not, yeah. not the real thing that, that's going to yeah. last you. Right? I only stopped halfway through that verse and then I stopped training for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's what a lot of yeah, ex footy players can now yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one now. Yeah. Look, the, the passage at the beginning of Hebrews talks about talk, um, you know, running the race and. Yeah. and and, and throwing out those things that encumber you and so forth. That, the rider there has got in mind uh, a, a marathon type of racing back, back in those Greek days. Yeah. And uh, and to actually to run well to run the marathon, you had to get rid of some of the the clothing that they had in those days, which was you know very long flowing kind of, kind yep. of clothing, and, and preparing for yourself uh, and then keeping your eyes upon Jesus. So uh, yeah. and keeping your eyes on the future of where you're heading. Yeah. Uh, and and not rather looking around in the immediate, yeah. but actually looking ahead of what the goal is that we're heading towards. And it speaks as, you know, life's not a sprint. Yeah. It's a marathon. Yeah. So when things aren't going all right, you know, at the moment, or you're struggling, um, uh, it's a temporary thing, a short-term thing. Mm. Now, it may have some implications long-term. Uh, and that's no doubt uh, a player that I worked a lot with last year. Uh, had a major injury, hardly played a game all year. Uh, a Christian guy mm. who's asking the question, you know, what's God doing to me here? Is God punishing me here? Is, you know, why, why is this happening to me? Mm. Um, and trying to say, look, firstly, God is in every situation. Mm. Uh, whether it, things are going well or whether they're not, mm. you know, God is still there. Yeah. Uh, but secondly, just to look beyond the immediate. You know, God's got purpose in the long term. He's got goals for us to set, to, you know, towards into the future. Uh, keep our eyes on there. We we still deal with the here and now, mm. but keep our eyes fixed into the future. You'll see today in a better light. That's, that's awesome. It's um it's refreshing to hear someone that's involved in sport that has those views. Um, and it's also so handy. Like I've seen firsthand the, the role that chaplains can play in, in, in players' lives and giving them that sound. And to be honest, it'll, it'll be 90% of the time that it's just a friendship, but then that yep. there's that tough time in their career where they just need someone, and they're always the go-to. And you talk about funerals, weddings. Um, there's so many yep. different aspects that you and become part of the family. Um, looking back at your 30 years, is there a highlight? Is there is there a season or two that you look back with fondly and think, yeah, that was a really enjoyable time to be part of? Actually, surprisingly, uh, there's always the years you win the team. Yeah, you win. But yeah. But it's also the years you do it tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember Chris Anderson saying to me, uh, that he appreciated the fact that I was still around when <laughs> things weren't going well. Yeah. As well as when things were. Yeah. Uh, because often they're the times that um, the opportunities arise when people are asking some of the bigger questions. Mm. Uh, uh, so, I mean, there are some years that have been tough years. Yeah. Um, not every coach has been on board. Um, and, and I, the role I play is not just with the team. I'm actually the club chaplain. So I make sure I check in on the staff, right. um, the football staff, but also the office, awesome. the room staff yeah. as well. Uh, so I get involved in their lives, uh, um, as well. And sometimes they need just some positive yeah. voice into yeah. particularly those times when your, your team's not performing all that well and everybody's struggling. Yeah. Uh, tensions can arise between personalities yeah. during that kind of period of time. Yeah. You can be a, uh, a conduit uh, between between them. 
Uh, and there have been times when um, I've had to advocate on behalf of players for the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I can speak up and say things uh, that maybe they don't have the same freedom yeah. to say. Um, all they can do is get rid of me, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's, it's not my career. It's their, their yeah. career. So sometimes to, to be a voice on their behalf. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Provides that opportunity as well. Yeah. Look, uh, uh, look, every year is different, and I would do I'd do it all again. And yeah. I, and I do each year uh, um, as well. Has there ever um, give us a bit of insight into a, a mistake? Have you ever gotten it wrong in a situation? Um, maybe one of those relational riffs, or maybe with you and a player, where you're like, "Oh no, got that wrong." <laughs> <laughs> Anything come to mind when I ask that? Yeah, look, but usually I've been able to restore that. I mean, uh, just learning some of the cultural things right. in a footy team at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. Well, one example that comes to me when in the old shower things, when they used to all group showers, yeah. and someone threw a bucket of water over the top, cold water, ice water over the top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Been there. Had that happen to me? I dobbed the bloke in who did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's um the shower time has changed a lot as well yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly since uh the uh, cold baths came in yes yes spot on <laughs> well we had a we had a boil outbreak one year where the eight players had boils Gross. so they made rules in allowed to wear undies in the ice baths and uh you're not allowed to well because no. the your undies were dirty from oh. training oh. so you had to go in there naked oh okay and if anyone had to wear ice baths, then uh, <laughs> it's effects. It wasn't. It wasn't very flattering for some people. Um, well, that, well, before my time, of course, the whole our whole team got glandular fever from the. Um, oh really? Yeah, it was about twelve players went down with glandular fever. From right? what? Uh, from uh, the spa. Oh really? Oh. What'd you do that week? No, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> that was back in the uh, the eighties, somewhere I think. Oh, right, gee. <laughs> is there um is there many other chaplains out there? Do you guys get together and support each other and anything like that? Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, some of uh, there are also uh, locally or in different regions. There are um, chaplains from the different sports will get together in their region. Yeah. But the uh, NRL ones uh, will get together pretty regularly. Oh, cool. Um, uh, we'll get on, well, we Zoom most of the time because we're spread out across the country. Uh, but we've developed in the last few years a close relationship with the NRL wellbeing team, mm. uh, with Paul Hebbenstall particularly. Hebb's a good man. He Hebb's joins all our all our chaplains meetings. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. He reckons it's the best he's, meeting he goes to. His brother is a... An uh, Anglican minister. Ang that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I saw Hebb's yesterday. Yep. Or last night. And oh, did you go to the movie? I did go to yeah, the movie last awesome. night. awesome. I saw Hebb's last night, but I also spoken to him earlier in the day about finding support for a yeah. player. And um, and for the last th uh, three or four years, uh, we chaplains uh, are invited to the Wellbeing Annual Conference um, at the NRL's expense. Cool. So we will join that um, and uh, we will usually have an opportunity to speak into that. So, you know, uh, I spoke a couple of years ago about you know, spiritual wellbeing and uh, how uh, how we support um, players both yeah, in a holistic way, including yeah. their spiritual lives and well-being. So we get an, uh, we're very much involved in that space and recognise yeah. us as partners in that space. That's um, that's so good. I know that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah he, he's in NRL HQ, but he's just. I, 
the players lucky that someone like him in their corner. Like he's yeah, uh, he's just top all, guy. Yeah, he, and to be honest, his job's not easy. Like no, he, he's not. It's not an easy job. There's a lot of people try to keep happy, and you can never keep everyone happy. So it's uh, it's a challenging job. Um, you, you went back on your career, talked about different times that you enjoyed over your career. What would you like your legacy to be? So look back, you know, after your time with the Bulldogs, what would you like, you know, the club to remember you as or remember you by? Uh, that I've actually made a, a positive contribution into not into individual lives, but also in the culture and the well-being of the club as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that, you know, we've gone down that track at the moment in appointing Christians in leadership roles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Players, yeah. yeah. Club captain for a start. Yep. And uh, and part of that is that they bring that positive. Um, That's Raymond, is that you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good man, Raymond. He is. Yeah. And, and Raymond being able to uh, bring that into uh, the whole culture of the club. Mm. Um, and, and it's a free space for people to talk about faith. They, it, it, no one's embarrassed about it. Yeah. About it all. And, uh, and I guess the legacy I'd like to leave is that they feel that they – they have the freedom to, to open up and speak more deeply about issues. Yeah. Um, that they are more vulnerable to each other, but yeah. that they're open to exploring faith. And, uh, um, and my great desire is that some of them will come to a, a personal de- yeah. relationship with Jesus. But I'll be there with they do or don't. Yeah, that's awesome. Is, uh, you know, we talk about the down times and the sad times, folksy passing away. Was what was that like for the community and all for the Bulldogs um, staff and and players? Yeah, that well, it was a bit personal for me. Um, mm. I had a close relationship with uh, with him and uh, my wife and I with Karen as well. And she had died five years earlier. Yep. Um, I was actually doing some ministry in Perth uh, for twelve months. Uh, they still kept me as chaplain. Yeah, <laughs> oh, good. Oh, well, Dino was long service leave. Well, Dino was coach at the time, and he was a player when I first started. Oh, right. right, yeah, yeah. So he said, Dad, I want you, I want you still here, Ken. Yeah. Um, but I got over there, and that's when folks had died. So they rang me. They flew me back. Yep. To, uh, so I conducted his funeral on Brown right. Oval um, and with the family. Uh, that was devastating mm. for all of us um, uh, for the length of time that he'd been a coach. But he was more than a coach. You know, he, he was uh, well, a private man in many ways. But Yeah. Uh, some of us had very close friendships and relationships with him, so that really did knock us around a, a bit. The, the irony with that was that our first game the next following week was in Perth. Oh, yeah, that. So I flew back with the Perth. That's going to be Where we played Melbourne. But that's yeah. nice that the whole team went, took you back home. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an amazing space, though, because they're the moments where, you know, for a lot of times chaplains can be invisible. You know, they can just be there and, you know, they help out and they, they're always friendly, always nice, players like them. And then you have, you know, we had a we had a, a head trainer commit suicide um, 2000, 2011, 2012. Um, and it just broke, you know, the playing group because it was just, un, you know, no one expected it to happen. And it's in those moments you realise how powerful chaplains are and, and how they can provide hope and but also provide someone to speak to. Because a lot of these players... They they got questions they just don't know who to talk to. Yeah. Um, and if a lot of in a lot of ways you'll be the only pastor or the only priest or the only um, Christian figure in their lives for some of these people. So for the, for them, you are the reflection of what church is, um, and it's a huge it's a huge responsibility as well because you know you're reflecting you know Christ to them. Um, is have there ever been any players that have 
um, you know, come to church or ask to go to a service over the years? Oh, look, there's been a number of them over the time. Yeah, okay. Um, for many years, I didn't have my own church. I don't know if I'd um, feel about borrowing, you know, asking to come to my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I'm the pastor there. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, but often I have. And, and when I've been in roles, um, which I haven't been looking after my own church at the time, I'd, I'd often say, I'll come with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that. Uh, actually, when I... When I got in, inducted into my denominational leadership role, um, I invited two players who were not Christians to come. Yeah. And they took part in the ceremony. Wow. Where they presented me with a candle representing bringing the light of Christ to those outside the church. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so they did that as part of, uh, of my induction service Yeah. Uh, into my denominational role. That's uh, incredible. Um, so yeah. and it was privileged to be when I spoke to them afterwards, what they appreciated was that people didn't treat them like celebrities yeah. or footballers. They were just guests on the day like everyone else. Yeah. And, mm. and that's the thing that some of our players have difficulty with going to some public place, yeah. which could be a church and then people clamber around them. Well, the reality is a lot of churches haven't nailed that. They've actually, they haven't. No, nah, a lot of churches have created an environment where people with that, status don't feel comfortable um and for that church they see it as an opportunity to get a bit of clout that they've got someone in the, in the building but yes. a lot of times they push that person away because they're trying to use that person for exposure or for you know well they they're too readily to put them up on a platform yeah uh, which is actually a kind of a leadership role and the mm. scriptures talk about waiting till people get to some level of maturity and so forth yeah uh to put them up on a, on a platform because we put them up and they're very vulnerable. Because yeah. if things go wrong in their life and things fall around a bit. We often point the finger at the, the, yeah. the plier or wherever else it might be. Yeah. When actually the church is the one responsible for doing it. Yeah. For putting them up like that and, and putting them up on a pedestal and then knocking them over. Yeah. From being a follower of Jesus since you were a, a teenager, you were saying, to now, um, is there any uh, standout ways that you've your faith has evolved or your view of God has evolved over all these years from what you, how you used to see him to how you connect with him now? It's a lot more intimate and personal now than what it was back then. And I'm not as black and white. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up in a very strict black and white kind of environment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of those being don't play sport on Sundays. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Where would you be now if you stuck to that? <laughs> you know, that, that, that type of... Environment. But I, I think over, over time, uh, also understanding culture and, and, and understanding that, that we're in a mission context mm. uh, and we need to speak into it from, from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, and so um, we shouldn't be imposing, being judgmental or imposing ourselves on those who actually haven't gone down that journey of, of faith and understanding. It would be different if they've come to that point. But yeah. Um, and so over the time, I'm probably a little bit more tolerable uh, for some things that maybe I wasn't in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but my basic faith and my basic tenets of my faith have not changed. So the core things about what it means for me to be a follower of Jesus, they've not changed. Before. Right. Yeah. Um, but how that's sometimes expressed and so forth, I've tried to understand the context a bit better. Yeah. Mm. Um, and say, well, what's that mean and look like? Uh, in this particular context. So the way I'll speak about Jesus today would be very different from what I might have done back then as mm, well. Yeah. 
Now, faith and everything aside, the Bulldogs this year, they've they've made some good signings and they had a big win. Uh, it looks from the outside like there's change, the winds are changing down there. Uh, how does it feel internally? Is it feel different than it did in the past where they were struggling and not doing well over the last couple of years? Uh, it's a very different feel at the moment. Yeah, it seems that way. Very, yeah. very different feel. Uh, look, Cameron Chiraldo has done an amazing job. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's really built uh, a really great culture. Uh, he, he went back, he studied really hard on uh, the culture of the club mm -hmm. and what's made it um, great in the past. Yep. He's got, got and met up with all a lot of the former players. Yeah, that's powerful. That's that's yeah. really cool. And actually, you turn up for training these days. There seems to be more for the 2004 team out of the fields there is for the 2023. Yeah, <laughs> you got Willie Mason, and you got um, you know, Bobcat. So uh, good. Got, oh, that, that was my year. I used to love watching them play. O'Mealy, you got all yeah. those boys. Rennie's, uh, Rennie, Mason, and all those. Yeah, boys they're there. all there. Yeah, yeah. They're all there training these days. Yeah. As part of the coaching team, and um, and then bringing a really positive kind of vibe or something. Yeah. At, uh, and it, another player just recently who played for us for a few years, but plays elsewhere since, uh, caught up with him recently. He's just, he may come back and do a bit of stuff back there as well. He said, I want to come home. Yeah. Um, and even Daryl Halligan said to me this, this week, um, and he's here before. Yeah. He's back in the, in the 90s. Daryl said, it's feeling like home again. That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, mate. We thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming into the studio. It was no, sorry pleasure. we got so excited that you have you here, but um, we, as a former player, but as a former player that had faith as well, I'm I'm extremely grateful for the chaplains in the game because the role you guys play is is so hard to quantify or explain to people the importance that it plays. And uh, I keep talking about players. We're not just cattle. We're not just chunks of meat. There's actually a, you know there's a spirit. There's a soul there, and yeah. and people like you allow players to reach their ability and, and tap into that. And also do it in a way where they feel that they have a connectivity to a higher purpose. So we're so grateful for your time, Ken, and uh, we wish you all the best for the season, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.